super expensive. I'm like, you haven't sold me on this yet. And he talks about how based on your body type, your gender, your health, your age, all of these things, they, they want you to work your body in the orange zone. I don't know what that is. But apparently there's an orange zone you're supposed to work in. And when you, after the orange zone, they want you to get to the green zone. Because when you get to the green zone, that means that 36 hours after you have worked out, you will continue, get this, for 36 hours after, continue to burn calories. I will admit, that almost won me over. I get to stop working out and burn calories. How do you do that? And some of you orange theorists are going to come at me after service. Please don't. Go at everybody else. But the idea that I can get into the, joy, the, the, the orange zone and burn calories even though I've no longer worked out. My goal today, and I already gave it away, is to get you in the joy zone. I want to get you in that joy zone to get you in the place where you are working your life, you're cultivating your life when it comes to the joy of the Lord. Because Paul gives us in this amazing portion of scripture a way to work out joy. I want to make a statement about joy that, that may not be popular for a few and it may be completely, some people may be ignorant toward the issues of joy when it comes to God, but when it comes to joy, joy is not just a privilege as believers, joy is our responsibility. Joy is a privilege. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you discover the grace of God. What's grace? It's when God gives us what we don't deserve. That's grace. And God gives us mercy. What's mercy? When God doesn't give us what we do deserve. And when we give, put our faith in Jesus, we get grace, we get mercy, we accept his forgiveness. Our lives just come into this place of, of, of love like we've never known before. And we get joy in the moment. But joy is what we get. It's a privilege as a believer. But there's another side of joy. is that anything that God ever gives us in life, we were not called to just simply receive. We're called to tend and to cultivate it, to grow it. Whatever God gives us, our finances, God gives us finances, guess what? It doesn't belong to you, it belongs to God. And so God gives it to us, but yet we have a responsibility to tend to it. We should be tithers, we should be given emissions, we should be generous, we should be good stewards of what we have. God gives us, well, God gives us our bodies. They don't belong to you, they belong to God. We're there to tend to it and to grow it and to cultivate it. So when it comes to joy, Jesus gives you joy. And maybe perhaps the reason why some of you are struggling with joy, it could be, it could be that maybe you're waiting for God to give you more dollops of joy. Like grandma at Thanksgiving giving dollops of Cool Whip. Thank God for Cool Whip. Goodness, there's some weird, weird concoctions that grandmas can make sometimes. And Cool Whip just makes it all better. But some of us are waiting for God just to give us more joy. And perhaps God has given you all the joy you've never needed. It's just that you've never cultivated it. You've never tended to it. You've never grown it. And God has challenged us to do that. And so today, I'm going to give you a joy workout to work on. I'm going to go all like Orange Theory on you this morning. We're going to go CrossFit on you to get you to work out your joy so that we can be a people that don't just receive joy in a moment of salvation, but that we can keep working it through to see it overflowing in our lives. Now, for us to really get to the scriptures we read, we need to go back a few verses to understand Paul. Because Paul, I mean, I'll be honest, the more I read Philippians, I'm like, how did this dude have joy? Because there's a lot of things I'd be hacked about and posting about on social media if had I been through the things that he had been through. But we're going to go back to verse 12, and Paul says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me 
has really served to advance the gospel. Now, this is what's cool. So if you've got your scripture journals, there's a few things I want you to circle. First of all, circle the word advanced. Because the word advanced in the Greek language is a military term that means to move forward despite being attacked. It is a military term that means that even though another army is firing at you, you're still moving forward. And Paul says, despite what has happened to me, it has only served to advance the gospel. So what happened to Paul? Last week we talked about his first experience with, with the, the church of Philippi, specifically the city of Philippi for which he was um, he was arrested, he was beaten with rods, thrown into prison, naked and bleeding, and God showed up in the prison cell and just an amazing atmosphere um, of him just having joy in the midst of struggles. Then we get to this place of, okay, what's been happening to Paul since then? Well, Paul, Acts chapter 21, he's going to go to church to give an offering. Now he's on his way to church to give an offering, he's going to the temple, and there are people that notice that they... The people walking with Paul, they didn't like them. Why? Because they were Gentiles. And the Jewish people, they thought salvation is just for us, not for the Gentiles. They're not welcome in church. And so, I mean, we've got a massive breach of race relations in the church going on. When Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun, I'm here to tell you that what we're facing today is what we've been facing for years. It doesn't excuse anything, but it should challenge us to move and to operate and to see people as vessels of God, as people made in the image of God. And so these, almost a riot breaks out. Acts chapter 20. There's, all this fighting starts up because people don't want Paul. They don't want his Gentiles. They don't want him reaching the Gentiles. And so Paul ends up getting arrested uh, because of false accusations. And my guess is the soldiers came in like, let's save this guy's life because this is going to get beaten to death. And so they arrest him. And for two years, Paul is under arrest. False accusations. People have been talking about him. People have been saying things about him, stirring up things about him, trying to break up the church. And so Paul has been appealing to the local authorities saying, hey, I'm in jail. I shouldn't be in jail. That People are saying the wrong things. And so he decides, I'm a Roman citizen. I'm going to go to a higher court. So he writes Rome. And so Rome says, you're going to come here and we're going to try you here in the city, the empire of Rome. And so he gets on a ship. So Paul's been in prison two years. Gets on a ship. Gets shipwrecked. I don't know, hit an iceberg or something. They get shipwrecked. He lands, gets onto the beach. He builds a fire to help warm people up. A snake comes out of the wood, bites him in the hand. People are just staring, waiting for him to die. Paul is not having a good couple years. Paul ends up not dying. He preaches the gospel and then gets to Rome. And then he is chained to a guardsman 24 hours a day, seven days a week for two more years as he appeals his case. So Paul says, what has happened to me? Four years of jail, a snake bite, a shipwreck, people saying negative things on Facebook. They have been attacking him. And he says, this has only served the gospel. Verse 13, he says this. It has been known throughout the whole imperial guard. He is chained to the imperial guard. Let me speak a couple things in your life this morning. First of all, I want you to understand that no matter what has happened, you may be like Paul and you're just dealing with some struggles in your life because of things that have happened. I'm here to say this. The scripture says, the sun shines on the, on the just and the unjust. It rains on the sinners and the saints alike. 
Bad things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to good people. It doesn't matter. We're going to go through this life and go through struggles. And I want to encourage you, some, encourage somebody this morning that if you're going through what the Bible calls a trial, a struggle, you're going through a catastrophe, you're going through a rough time, that God can make triumph out of your trials. He can rescue and redeem your pain. We're all going to go through pain. We're all going to go through struggle. But this is why we trust in the Lord, because he can bring triumph out of your trials. And not just that, but when it comes to life, man, in life, our joy is not so much determined by what happens to us. Joy is determined by what we choose to put our focus in. Man, things happen to everybody. It's just part of human nature. It's part of living in this world. I've had people call me, Pastor Dave, why me? Why me? And, and, and listen, I will be as compassionate as can be, but one of my heart is to help us all to understand that we're all going to go through things. And joy, it, does, it doesn't get determined by what, by what happens to us. Joy is determined by what or who we choose to put our focus in. And Paul, his focus, has gotta, in my brain, has got to be next to the guy that he's chained to. Now, he's chained to what we are told, the imperial guard. Who is the imperial guard? Uh, the, the, the correct word is the praetorian. These were the elite, the army rangers, so to speak, of the guard of Caesar. In fact, the imperial guard was known as Caesar's private like guardsmen. These were the elite, the top gun, the best of the best of the best. And this is who Paul's chained to, 24 hours a day in six-hour increments. So every six hour, a new Praetorian guard comes and locks themselves to Paul. 18-inch chain, cuffs on either side, and they are locked to Paul, locked up to Paul. But what I love is they're not locked up to Paul. Paul is locked up to them. And while he's there in jail, locked up to these amazing guards, he is talking to people, because he gets visitors all the time. Anybody can come talk. So Paul's talking about the gospel. Paul is talking about um, the goodness of God, and these individuals are starting to get saved. Now, something you need to know about those guardsmen, this elite group, is they only had to serve for 12 years. After 12 years, they could retire. And they retired to great wealth, and they didn't have to pay taxes anymore. Would that not be the most amazing retirement plan ever? And not only are they retired in great wealth, no taxes, but they end up becoming the leadership, the politicians, the overall directors of the empire of Rome. So when you think about who Paul, of all people Paul could be hooked up to, Paul could have been hooked up to anybody. He could have had anybody chained to him. But God sees fit to hook the future influences and leaders of the entire empire of Rome to Paul. The greatest evangelist perhaps the world has ever seen. They are hooked to them. And they're hearing about the gospel and they are getting saved. That's why it says in verse 13. It has become known throughout the entire, the whole imperial guard. Its, it's word has begun to spread. The guard is talking about the kingdom. The guard is talking about Jesus. Everybody's talking about Jesus. And if you even want to know the end of the story, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 says this. It says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's house. That's an important detail because it says, all the saints greet you, especially those, those saints 
those saved ones, those believers in the house of Caesar. Who are the believers? The guardsmen that have been chained to Paul. I'm here to tell you that you may see disaster in front of you, but God can take your disaster and turn the trials into triumph. And when the enemy said, we've got Paul chained up, God said, I'm going to change the future of the empire by chaining them directly to the evangelist that I have. That's amazing. Some of us have got to stop looking at our situation so dire and begin to see this could advance the gospel. That coworker that I do not like could be a chance just to advance the love of Jesus. The neighbor that won't return your cordless drill could be the chance to extend the gospel. And that brought Paul joy. Man, I sat on that too long. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry and others from goodwill. In other words, Paul says, there are people preaching Christ, but some people are preaching it out of envy and rivalry. Some people are doing it out of goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and for that I rejoice. Paul is actually getting attacked by people. His reputation is getting attacked. There are people acting out of rivalry, envy, and pretense. And the question is, who are the people attacking Paul? They're people in the church. It's not people outside the church attacking Paul. It's insiders. These are other Christians. They had the same doctrine as Paul, the same beliefs as Paul. They, say they serve the same Jesus as Paul, but their motives are so off. And what I love is Paul's attitude because Paul calls it out. There are some people that are after me because of rivalry, of envy, of pretense. And he says, you know what? It really doesn't matter. You know what matters? Jesus is being exalted. Some of you, maybe you're like me. I don't think I could take that. Because I know everybody's motives around me. Anybody else, you know everybody's motives around you? Yeah, I got one over here. Thank you for being honest with me. Paul, he just, he's at the place where he just simply says, this is happening, let's be real, but most importantly, the gospel is going forward. I believe that God allowed this, that the Spirit of God had Paul write these words for a reason. It's for us in the church to understand that these things happen in the church still. This may shock you, but not everybody who calls himself a Christian always acts like Jesus. I know, I know, I know. Just, just pick your jaw up off the ground. I just shocked you. I've had people say, hey, I've met some people at K-First. They didn't act really Christian. I said, well, understand, we like unsaved people come to church. So you might not run into everybody who's a Christian. And not everybody who follows Jesus always acts like Jesus. And that may need to stop shocking us so much. It doesn't excuse it, but it's ex sometimes it explains that somebody may not have had their coffee. And some of y'all got stuff in you that coffee does not correct. And we need to be, yeah, that, let that sink in a little bit. And Paul just wants us to admit that we don't have our stuff all together. There is a sign in a city. It's just outside of Colorado. It is the city of Kingsburg, Colorado. And it's a sign that says this. Population, 1,191. Elevation, 4,944. Happy people, 500. Sore heads, a few. I mean, if you got like 1,200 people there, there's only 500 happy people, then you've got literally the whole, like majority of the people are just not, I don't know what their issue is. But you're going to find joyless people. 
You will. And how do you find joyless people? You look for the people who don't have joy and they're attacking those who possess joy. Your job is to simply be a conduit, is to receive from Jesus, to walk in it, which is working it out, and to be a conduit of joy. And let it be said of those of us that attend K first, that when it comes to the joy of the Lord, that we are not looking to attack other people's joy. We're not looking to dampen someone else's life. That we at K first, we are people who will be conduits of the joy of the Lord everywhere that we go. And it takes a perspective shift in our heart. Years ago, I shared a story, and I felt like it was very apropos to share again today. When we were youth pastors in Midland, we just saw God begin to do an amazing work among students and the youth group just begin to grow and grow and we just saw great fruit. And I remember this young lady wanted to come talk to me. Her mom called me and says, hey, Dagan wants to come in and she wants to talk with you because she doesn't want to come to youth group. And so absolutely. So I sat down with her and she just said, Pastor Dave, I want to come to youth group, but I don't want to because the youth group hates my guts. I'm like, who hates your guts? She goes, well, the youth group does. I'm like, tell me what the youth group is. Don't you love when people say, everybody's talking about this. Everybody thinks this. Everybody's saying this. I'm like, define to everybody. And usually what I get is two or three people. And she says, well, there's these three people. These, there's these three girls that just hate my guts and they just don't like me. I'm like, well, I said, Dagan, can I give you the youth group attendance last Wednesday? And she says, oh, sure. I said, there was 122 students at youth group last night. Can we do a little math? She goes, okay. I said, do you realize that three is 2.6% of the students there? She goes, that's not much, is it? I said, no. I said, so how many more students are there than them? And she's like, well, there's like 97% more people there than them. And I said, well, if you don't like what you're feeling, be a conduit. Begin to do a work. And so she goes, well, I'll come. But I'm only sitting in the back. So she came and she brought a friend. And all of a sudden, that Wednesday night, God got a hold of their life. And that those two friends went back to school and brought two more friends. And in a matter of three months, they had grown three to four rows of students that came and encountered the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. We can either be a person that allows people to suck the joy from our life, or we can get a new perspective and begin to see the reality that, yes, there is calamity going on in the world. Yes, there is struggles that, that's going on in the world. But but my job is, yes, I can recognize the reality, but let me look at the greatest reality, that there is, a, there is a king above it all. There is one who sits on the throne above it all, and it's in him I live and move and have my being, and it's his joy that is in my life. So instead of looking at what's missing and what's broken, what if we could be conduits of a voice of hope and peace and strength in the people's life? Paul is in jail, encouraging people. I mean, literally, he is in chains, chained to just some big uglies on either side of him, and he is bringing joy into people's life. I'm like, Lord, man, we've, we are a mess in America. And Paul says, I'm here, and it's okay, because if Christ is preached, that's all that matters. I love this. And he begins to lay out what I call a workout regiment to help us to tend to our joy and to grow our joy. So I'm going to fly through this this morning. So if you're taking notes, there are six workouts I'm going to give you. My goal is, is that you would just take one workout. I'm not going to crossfit you here this morning. I'm going to give you, take at least one that you can work on this week. And so number one, would you write this down? Number one, if you want to work out your joy, joy comes when we remember that God is at work in our lives. I wanted to make sure that we capitalize the workout. 
Our job is to remember. When we remember God's goodness, it builds in our lives. Verse 19, Paul says, for I know, for I know, that word know there is, is, a, is a Greek word that has this idea of an absolute conviction based off of experience. I know. I have a conviction based off my experience, based off of what I can remember. Remember, I know that God will work this thing through. It is remembering God is at work. It's a reminder that you're not on your own. It's a reminder of what he wrote in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 28. Then he says, all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord. Not just the good moments, but the bad moments. Not just the good days, but the bad days. God can work all of that through. I love Psalms 37, verse 23 says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly and he delights in every detail of their lives. Joy comes when we put our memory into practice and begin to look back at everything that God has done and it paves the way for what we believe God will do in our lives. God is not done with you. He's not done with you. He's got purposes and things in store for you. Number two, Joy comes when we believe that God answers prayer. The scripture says, for I know that through, it doesn't say my prayers. Paul wasn't talking about his prayers. Paul says it's through your prayers, the church's prayers. Joy comes when we believe that God answers prayer. Some of y'all this week need to read Acts chapter 12. When Peter gets arrested, Peter gets arrested just because there is a local authority that killed a few Christians and made people happy. He's like, oh, let me go after some more. And he picked on the head of the church, Peter. And when he went into prison, Acts chapter 12, verse 5, it says the church began to earnestly pray, and an angel came and literally set Peter free. There is just something about letting people pray in our lives. And I'm here to say that some of you, you won't let people pray over you because you've got a pride issue. Or maybe, I think it's just all a pride issue. You don't want people to see that you're hurting or they need to pray for somebody else. Let people pray for you. You're here together as a body to be a body. And if you're hurting, let somebody know. Let somebody pray for you. Did you guys know that we've got a prayer team that are here every single week? We've got a prayer room at the end of this hall that if you need prayer on Sundays, you can show up and people will pray for you. Did you know that we've got a prayer chain that if you've got a prayer need, call it into the office and we send that out to our prayer chain, to all of our prayer people, that if you've got a need, confess your need. Tell somebody about your need because we believe that God still answers prayer. Does anybody believe God answers prayer in the house today? God answers prayer. So if you want to be, maybe if you want to be on the prayer team or on the prayer chain or be a part of the prayer ministry, seriously, just email us, info at kfirst.org. Just tell us about it. You want to be involved, tell us. Because we want to see God rise and people transform. The first Thursday of every month, I meet with my prayer team. Ann and I, for 12 years now, meet with our senior adults. If you're age 60 on over, 59, you're not invited yet, 60 on over, we meet us in the cafe every first Thursday of the month at 9.30. In fact, we're going to go have breakfast next month. So you can join us for breakfast at Michelle's. But we, we've leaned upon them. We came here, get this. I came here with a throat condition. It was a type of strep that was not infectious, but it lied dormant in my throat. And every six to eight weeks, I get strep throat. And I was so used to it that I just didn't notice it any longer. When I came, I told my prayer team about it. We're like, you shouldn't have to deal with this. And I'm telling you what, I've never had a throat condition since that moment. I'm telling you what, prayer 
matters. And this week, I want to dedicate this week to praying over your needs. And so we're going to put up a number. Can we put that number up on the screen? If you've got a prayer need right now, would you pull out your phones? Would you type in this number, 269-419-6454? And if you've got a prayer need, if it's personal, marital, something with your school, something with a friend. Would you text in a prayer need? Our staff, we're going to intercede over you. Thursday is our big staff day to pray. But I'm going to be praying over this list every single day this week. And it is my prayer that on Sunday morning that we're going to have celebrations from this time of prayer. You've got a need. We want to pray. We're going to, now we're going to go to number three. If you would, whoever's doing tech, please leave that there for the next couple minutes just so we don't lose that. Number three. Joy comes when we allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. Joy comes when we allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. It says, for I know, verse 19, through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit. The help of the Holy Spirit. Paul says that joy comes when we allow the Spirit of God to help us. That word help in the Greek language has only been used in two spots. Here and in Ephesians chapter 3. And that word in Ephesians is also used as equipped or empowered. In other words, that God helps us through the Holy Spirit when we allow that to happen. That's why we read to you things like Galatians chapter 5, verses 23 through 23, which is the fruit of the Spirit, where there's love, joy, peace, patience. I mean, if you need love, allow the Holy Spirit to work through your life. You need patience, allow the Holy Spirit to work through your life. You need help with, your, with uh, things in your life like mercy, um, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is there. And if we allow the Spirit of God, He will help us. And when we see the Spirit of God helping us, it produces Joy. Number four, joy comes when we trust that God will not disappoint us. Joy comes when we trust that God will not disappoint us. Scripture says, it is my eager expectation in verse 20, and hope that I will not be put ashamed. The word hope, biblical hope is this. It is anticipating the goodness of God in our lives. I love that. You want to know what biblical hope is? It's, It's anticipating it's trusting that God is still at work. I've see, I say this frequently from this pulpit, that I truly believe the best is yet to come. Why do, I, why do I believe that? Because whenever I'm in any situation, if the situation is not good, then I have to believe that God is not done yet. If the situation isn't good, God is not done yet. When I look at some of the things that we're dealing with within our country, there's a lot that I don't see is good. But I look at that, I'm like, God is not done with America yet. When I see things happening in family, happening in people's family, situations, I look and say, you know what, God, you're not done yet. You're still working. Psalm 23, excuse me, 25, 3. For no one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. But shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. I love that. No one who hopes will be put to shame. Isaiah 49, 23. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. See, when we trust in God, it develops joy. Number five. Joy comes when we put Christ first in our life. Joy comes when we put Christ first. Verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. What Paul is just simply saying is when I make my life about Christ, that's my gain. 
But the problem is, is if, if we were to look at some of the, like these statements here, for me to live is, if we put Christ here, it doesn't matter what we face, including death, it's all gain. And the problem is, is if we put anything else in that blank, then death is disappointment. Because if to live is our job or to live is um, our spouse or to live is my, is my finances, to live is my portfolio, the problem is, is death destroys all of that. But when we live to cr for Christ, everything is gained. I remember when my, my kids were real little, I remember, I think it was Cammie that asked me, and she said, Dad, do you love Jesus more than Mom? And she did that so Mom could hear. She thought she was going to get me in trouble. And I was like, oh, mom and I talked about this a long time ago. The fact is we love Jesus, number one, and we love each other, number two. And it doesn't mean that like, two's down here and one's up here. It's like we know how to love each other only because we love Jesus first. We only know how to love you because we love Jesus first. You love Jesus more than me? I do because he helps me know how to love you. And that's why we don't go to, for me to live is Jesus plus anything else because the, de the degree for which you love Jesus is gonna be your degree to which you experience joy. And Paul says, your life has got to be about Jesus. And so lastly, and let me wrap this up, keyboardist, or somebody come out and help me shut up here. Number six and lastly, joy comes when we live other focused. Verse 22, if I live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor. It means I can continue to serve. And if I, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. What that means is Paul's like, you know what? I'd be cool if I died because I'd, I'd live forever with the Lord. And yet I still want to be here with you. I am hard pressed between the two, verse, 20, verse 23 says. For I desire to depart and be with Christ for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. And I'm convinced. And I know that I will remain and continue to be with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith. What I love about Paul is Paul knows what he kind of wants. But he's like, the reality is, it doesn't matter what I want. I'm put here to help serve the people around me. And I believe that we can short circuit our joy by learning to live like the Western individuals that we can be, we learn to live for the individual rather than learning to serve others. God has not put us on here on this earth for ourselves. We have been put on this earth that we would worship and exalt him and live out that servant's heart to love others as we love ourselves. Nothing that I've given you today is easy in the least bit. Some of the stuff this morning may seem easy to you, but some of it is going to stretch you a little bit. Some of you, it's going to be power training because it's going to test some of your mentalities or your perspectives. But I believe this morning, if you're willing to remember that God is at work and the work that memory, it'll produce joy. For some of you today, that maybe you've doubted that God has noticed you, but maybe if you just trust in Him and believe that if people pray, that God responds to His people. And I believe, and if you believe that God answers prayer, I believe God will begin to produce joy in your life. Number three, God, he wants to come into your life. And when we allow the spirit of God to strengthen us, it produces joy. That joy also comes when we trust. And we hope that God won't disappoint. I've had moments where I've experienced some disappointment, recognizing that God may have closed the door. And that felt disappointing. But God had a greater door in store for me. We gotta trust that God won't disappoint. That produces joy. Joy comes when you put Jesus first in our life. And joy also gets produced when we stop living for ourselves 
and we start living for others to serve others. I'm not saying that you have to let yourself get taken advantage of, but it's going to happen. I can't say that people aren't gonna uh, stab you in the back. That may happen because that's people. Paul was experiencing all of this and Paul, in one translation, Paul said, when all this other stuff happens, it really doesn't matter. One translation specifically says, I think it's the NIV, what does it matter? Well, Paul, you're not gonna get the credit. What does it matter? Paul, people don't know you're the one who planted the church in Philippi. What does it matter? Jesus is being preached by somebody else and it's not you. Somebody else might be discipled by somebody beside you. What does it matter? All that matters is the gospel is spreading. And meanwhile, these big guards are staring and they're watching this and lives are being transformed and joy begins to flow out of the most dingy place in Philippi because of joy. Would you just step into a workout this week? Would you allow your life to get a little bit stretched and to get into the joy zone? Would you take these six things? If you didn't write them down, go on the Uversion app, pull it out, and begin to just write some things down and say, Spirit of God, maybe this week I need to exercise trust this week. I haven't trusted you all that well. Some of you took some big steps today and you've already texted in a prayer need. Maybe it's a prayer need you gave up hope on. Uh, my prayer this morning is that God would fill you with anticipation like you've never experienced before. Some of you, you've never asked for the Spirit of God to give you help with difficult situations or help with your, with your children, help with your spouse, help at the workplace, help with the neighbor. And this week, I believe the Spirit of God is going to help you and you're gonna see God work in your life and it's gonna produce joy. And my prayer, God, God, work us out this week. Let our souls sweat with the tension of working out muscles that we've never worked before this week. That we would see the glory, the power of God. That what was happening to the imperial guard, the people that seemed impossible to reach, the Lord do that in Kalamazoo, do it in Portage, do it in Pawpaw, do it in Parchment, and any other P city that I have not labeled off yet. <laughs> Do it all, God. Do it all. Would you bow your heads?